At some point over the holiday weekend, I stumbled upon a news article called This Week's Good News. The article itself was an aggregate of of heartwarming news stories from across the internet. One story that really stuck out for me was the story about a cat named Sasha. Sasha got lost five years ago in Portland, Oregon. And then, last week, just last week, turned up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. The cat went on an adventure. No one knows how, but the animal shelter was able to identify Sasha by means of a microchip, and she was thus reunited with her human companion, who had feared the worst and thought that she had been lost for good years and years ago. It's a great story, super cute, heartwarming story. But there was other good news in that article as well. Like, for instance, teen birds are down. Smoking is down. Solar energy is getting cheaper. Across the globe, life expectancy is on the rise, while at the same time, extreme poverty is down. This is all great stuff. But of course, the the reason why we get articles like this is because it becomes pretty easy to get cynical about the state of the world. Take a moment and think to yourself, what sort of mess most stands out for you today. Just take a moment, close your eyes. What about the world stands out as a mess? Because let's face it, the world kind of seems like a mess. Now maybe that's always been the case. Maybe, maybe things have always been a mess, but whatever they were in the past, things definitely seem like a mess today. And when things seem like a mess, then the temptation arises to try to escape that mess by whatever means necessary. We look to distract ourselves, or we try to find a scapegoat to blame, or we try to hide and avoid the issues. We can give in to anger, or we might give in to despair, or we might try to numb ourselves in the hope of making it all go away. And when things seem like they are slipping into darkness, it's hard to, it's hard to face it straight on. It's hard to, to confront the darkness, and it's hard to know just how we should respond. It's easy to despair. It's easy to lose hope. And yet there is a better way. Seven hundred years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet and poet Isaiah was also facing a mess. In his time, Isaiah reads the signs around him and his diagnosis is bleak. He looks at his society 
the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, and Isaiah sees injustice and oppression are rampant. Isaiah looks at Jerusalem and he sees a once great city corrupted by lies and cruelty and exploitation. To Isaiah, it seems like everyone, everyone has turned their back on God, but especially, especially those who are in power. Isaiah declares to Jerusalem, your princes have become rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone runs after a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not defend the orphan, and the widow's cause does not come before them. For God, the care of orphans and widows was the mark of a just society. And when Isaiah looks at his society, he sees how broken it has become. For him, this brokenness can only mean ruin. It can only mean destruction. And it can only mean a dead end. Jerusalem was intended by God to be a sign of justice. But it appears that it has no future. Isaiah proclaims, The strong have become like tinder, and their work like a spark. They and their work shall burn together with no one to quench them. For Isaiah, this is God's judgment. This is God's judgment against God's people. And yet, and yet this is not the last word. Though it seems impossible, Isaiah sees light breaking on the horizon that casts away the darkness. For immediately after Isaiah declares the ruin of Jerusalem, he proclaims a restoration. One might even say a resurrection. Isaiah announces, In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest mountain. This mountain is Mount Zion. This mountain is Jerusalem. In his vision, Isaiah sees people coming to Jerusalem to learn the ways of God and God's peace. Justice will be established in the city and in the world. And the city itself will not only be transformed into a beacon of justice, but in some sense, it will become the center of the world, the highest mountain. And there, there, Weapons of war will be turned into instruments of cultivation and harvest. And peace, lasting peace, permanent peace will emerge. And the people of the world will learn, not learn war anymore. This vision is not Isaiah's experience. Rather, it is Isaiah's hope. Isaiah's faith. This vision becomes an organizing principle. 
For Isaiah, this vision is God's final judgment. While at the same time, it is our great longing and our great consolation as human beings. It is, it is the healing and wholeness that God will create. It is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. It is reconciliation and communion. It is a new unity of peace. Facing his own day that is a mess, Isaiah does not deny the mess. No, Isaiah names the mess and witnesses against the mess. He lives in the mess, and yet he finds hope in what God is doing and in what God will ultimately do. And then Isaiah lives out of that hope and thus looks to participate in the realization of God's dream. In his role as prophet, he looks to call the people back to God and back to themselves so that they too can live in God's dream. For his part, Jesus is captive to the same vision as Isaiah, captive to the same dream. Jesus calls the the realization of this vision the coming of the kingdom of God, or the reign of God. And indeed, God inaugurates God's reign through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God's kingdom or reign is a new world, a new creation, emerging and breaking into the old. And to that end, Jesus comes to be in the mess with us. Jesus enters our darkness as a source of light. Jesus does not turn from the mess either, but instead lives and loves in the midst of it and bids his followers to do the same. And as such, the followers of Jesus, they straddle two worlds. They have one foot in the new creation, one foot in the world to come where strife and enmity, sin and death have already been defeated and stripped of their power. Already. While at the same time, at the same time, the other foot is firmly planted in the old world, the world where hatred and injustice and death still exert their horrific power. As Christians, we declare that in Christ, God has already defeated our great enemies of sin and death, and yet, that victory has not been fully realized. We await the final culmination. And Jesus reminds us this morning that that final culmination can come at any moment, like a thief in the night. And yet we do not know when the end will come, whether that end be our own personal end or the final end of the age. And so, so in the meantime, we straddle between these ages. 
We live in the space in between, in the already and the not yet. And with Isaiah and Jesus, we live in the mess of our times by having our sights firmly fixed upon the vision of God's coming peace. We let God's peace be our organizing principle. We let God's peace give us strength. We let God's peace give us consolation. We let God's peace give us hope that when times are bleak and our hearts are broken, that God is there and present with us. This is what it means for us to stay awake. This is what it means for us to stay alert. We are to be enthralled and captivated by Isaiah's vision of peace. We are to live in such a way that Isaiah's vision becomes the ground and the soil out of which we live, out of which we are nourished. We live in the present nourished by the promise of God's future. We wait with alert attention to the ways that the new creation can and does break into the old. Today we begin the season of Advent. It is a time of preparation as we look to attend to the birth of Christ in our midst, to the birth of Christ in our hearts and in our world. The followers of Jesus are an Advent people, waiting and watching, living in the trust and hope that God has already begun to heal and transform the world, but all the while longing, longing for the full realization of God's reign. But this waiting and this watching is not passive but active. It is a contemplative waiting, alert for God, trusting in God's presence, and expecting signs of God's love. And our living into that trust and expectation means bearing witness with our words and with our deeds and with our very own lives to that peace and wholeness that looms on the horizon, that peace and wholeness that is arising in the distance and breaking into our lives, like the sun rising at dawn. We are left, then, to ask and to discern how we can participate in the coming of God's peace. How we can participate in the coming of God's peace where swords are beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. For you see, you see, the night is gone. The night is far gone. The day, the day is near. Amen.